Preface to Little Dorrit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. Little Dorrit by Charles Dickens. Preface to the 1857 edition. I have been occupied with this story during many working hours of two years. I must have been very ill-employed if I could not leave its merits and demerits as a whole to express themselves on its being read as a whole. But, as it is not unreasonable to suppose that I may have held its threads with a more continuous attention than anyone else can have given them during its desultory publication, it is not unreasonable to ask that the weaving may be looked at in its completed state and with the pattern finished. If I might offer any apology for so exaggerated a fiction as the barnacles and the circumlocution office, I would seek it in the common experience of an Englishman, without presuming to mention the unimportant fact of my having done that violence to good manners in the days of a Russian war, and of a court of inquiry at Chelsea. If I might make so bold as to defend that extravagant conception, Mr. Myrtle, I would hint that it originated after the railroad-share epoch in the times of a certain Irish bank, and of one or two other equally laudable enterprises. If I were to plead anything in mitigation of the preposterous fancy that a bad design will sometimes claim to be a good and an expressly religious design, it would be the curious coincidence that it has been brought to its climax in these pages, in the days of the public examination of the late directors of a royal British bank. But I submit myself to suffer judgment to go by default on all these counts, if need be, and to accept the assurance, on good authority, that nothing like them was ever known in this land. Some of my readers may have an interest in being informed whether or no any portions of the Marshalsea prison are yet standing. I did not know myself until the sixth of this present month, when I went to look. I found the outer front courtyard, often mentioned here, metamorphosed into a butter-shop, and I then almost gave up every brick of the jail for lost. Wandering, however, down a certain adjacent angel court leading to Bermondsey, I came to Marshalsea Place, the houses in which I recognised not only as the great block of the former prison, but as preserving the rooms that arose in my mind's eye when I became Little Dorrit's biographer. The smallest boy I ever conversed with, carrying the largest baby I ever saw, offered a supernaturally intelligent explanation of the locality in its old uses, and was very nearly correct. How this young Newton, for such I judge him to be, came by his information, I don't know. He was a quarter of a century too young to know anything about it of himself. I pointed to the window of the room where little Dorrit was born, and where her father lived so long, and asked him what was the name of the lodger who tenanted that apartment at present. He said, Tom Pithick. I asked him who was Tom Pithick, and he said, Joe Pithick's uncle. A little further on I found the older and smaller wall, which used to enclose the pent-up inner prison, where nobody was put, except for ceremony. But whosoever goes into Marshalsea Place, turning out of Angel Court leading to Bermondsey, will find his feet on the very paving-stones of the extinct Marshalsea Jail, 
will see its narrow yard to the right and to the left, very little altered, if at all, except that the walls were lowered when the place got free, will look upon rooms in which the debtors lived, and will stand among the crowding ghosts of many miserable years. In the preface to Bleak House, I remarked that I had never had so many readers. In the preface to its next successor, Little Dorrit, I have still to repeat the same words, deeply sensible of the affection and confidence that have grown up between us. I add to this preface, as I added to that, May we meet again. London, May, 1857 End of Preface